thanking you for who you are, what you do, and how you love us. We are glad to be here today. We're grateful for another opportunity to receive your word, to celebrate who you are, and to fellowship with one another. Be with each and every one of us this morning. Be with each and every one of us that is not here in the parking lot as well. Those that are watching live, those that are going to watch the recording, bless our lives, Lord, as only you know how. Help us to receive your word, understand your word, and apply it to our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. Amen. So I'm going to need some help this morning. I'm going to need your energy with this, with this song this morning, because we're going to rejoice in the Lord. We are going to rejoice in the Lord this morning. So we're going to move. We're going to clap. And I'm going to need to hear those in the parking lot singing right along with me. Okay? bless the Lord, come bless the Lord, draw near to worship Christ the Lord, and bless his name, his holy name, declaring he is good. Come bless the Lord, come bless the Lord, draw near to worship Christ the Lord, and bless his name, his holy name, declaring he is good. Oh, that men would praise him. Oh, that men would praise him. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, again I say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, again I say, rejoice. Come bless the Lord. Come bless the Lord, come bless the Lord, draw near to worship Christ the Lord, and bless his name, his holy name, declaring he is good. Oh, that men would praise him, oh, that men would praise him, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Again I say rejoice in the Lord always And again I say, again I say rejoice in the Lord always And again I say, again I say rejoice in the Lord always And again I say, again I say rejoice I see people moving in the parking lot. They're clapping their hands. I want to see hands waving in the air because we're praising the Lord this morning. Oh, that men would praise his name. Praise his name to the ends of the earth. Oh, that men would praise his name. Praise his name till the ends of the earth. Oh, that men would praise his name. Praise his name till the ends of the earth. Oh, that men would praise his name. And again I say, again I say, Oh, that men would praise his name. Praise his name till the ends of the earth. Oh, that men would praise his name. Praise his name till the ends of the earth. Oh, that men would praise his name. Praise his name till the ends of the earth. Oh, that men would praise his name. And again I say, again I say, again I say, again I say. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. In 
rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, again I say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, again I say, rejoice. Again I say, again I say, rejoice. Woo! Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, those of us in the parking lot, I would hope and think that you all need the Lord in your life. If you need the Lord in your life, let me hear and see your acknowledgement. Horns honking. Yes, I need the Lord in my life each and every day. Each and every day. So we're here this morning collectively to proclaim and declare that we need the Lord in our life. So we're going to join in together. Real simple song, we need you, Lord, right now, okay? Let's just follow along, join in in worship. Let's fellowship together. the Lord and tell them that you need him. Jesus Christ is our friend and we just need to let him know that we need him in our life. Amen. Amen. We need you Lord. We need you Lord right now. 
you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. Make it personal. I lift my hands. I bow my knee. I worship at your throne. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. Make it personal. It's about you. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord, right now. I lift my hands. I bow my knees. I worship our bodies to give him praise and give him glory. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are stilled, when striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in hell, bless obey this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to say, to long that cross that Jesus died, the wrath of Good morning. You should have been here earlier when they were testing and had music on like that. Deacon Fernando was out here freestyling. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to ask him to do it later. Yeah, I just called you out, bro. Where are you? <laughs> Somebody said to me, "You're from New York freestyle. The only freestyle I do is swimming." Good morning, and I am glad that we are able to be back again. The sun has come out, um, but we know that we are here because the sun um, has been out and that he has caused us to be free um, and in relationship with God. So this morning, as we uh, get ready to as we get ready to jump into God's word, I just want to have a time of prayer first for us and that um, we continue to remember one another. We continue to remember our communities, um, our state, our, um, <clears throat> our nation, our world as we deal with times that um, are unprecedented and that we continue to be able to journey through it for those of us who know Christ who have trusted him, that we are in a position where we continue to demonstrate um, the glory, the strength, and the love of God in Christ, and that we will be able to draw some to him, um, because we know ultimately that is the ultimate in life, 
is knowing him and living for him and that our purpose is for him as well. And so we are grateful. We are grateful for the opportunity to be able to claim his name and to be able to um, claim his purpose because a life that is set on purpose in Christ is a life that is about to be and will be and can be well lived. And so I would say this morning to you, live on purpose. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in as we talked about last week, establishing our series through First Peter, and living well while in exile will be our thought for the whole series, living well while in exile. And I know for some that may be hearing this, you go, exile, who's in exile? Uh, We'll explain and we'll look at that and we'll talk about that in a moment as we walk through this. And what did Peter mean when he used that phrase and that term? And to whom was he speaking and what was happening and going on? And it has great application for us today in this society, even as much as it's had application for those who heard it at that time. And so as we pray, I I ask that you would allow God to set your minds and hearts. If you are one that has not trusted him personally and has embraced what Christ has done, um, as the scriptures reveal, and you have not trusted him to forgive your sins, um, as you have repented, and have changed and and to change your life so that your purpose is now his that can happen today that can happen at any moment while you still have breath and so this morning i pray that you would allow the word to to sink into your hearts to flood your minds and thus to govern your decisions in how you are going to live so let's pray let's go before god lord thank you again for this opportunity to be here today. Lord, it is your grace that has given us a new day. Lord, we opened our eyes not because of a phone alarm or because of an alarm clock or because someone shook us or or we heard a noise. Father, it was because you allowed us to be alive to hear or to experience and witness those things. God, that would cause us to come out of our sleep. We thank you that, God, this morning we are here because you have allowed us to be here. And because we are, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to worship and to praise. We thank you for the ability to gather, Lord. And even though still outside, we thank you for this space that we have and the freedom of, of worship that we have here today in this nation. God, I thank you right now that we can see others and, Lord, rejoice together in what you have done and what you are doing. God, we thank you that your mercies are fresh and they are new every morning, and we thank you especially for them being fresh this morning. Father, we pray for those this morning who are coming with heavy hearts, Lord, that you would help them to realize that in you there is rest. Lord, we may be weary, we may be laden with heavy burdens, but Lord, you have made it clear that if we come to you, we will find rest for our weary souls. I pray that we would indeed do that, Lord, that trusting in you means relying on and leaning on you and your character in whom you have revealed yourself to be. I pray, God, that we would not be distracted by the voices in our world and in our society and even those close to us who would speak something different than what you have been saying. I pray, God, that we would allow the word that we hear, O God, to change our hearts and minds, to settle us, God, to quiet us, Lord, and to govern us. I pray, Lord, that this morning, if there are any that are sick, Lord, that you would meet them right where they are. God, that they would look to you, and we do desire their healing, Lord, and yet we realize, God, that in you is all things, and that even the comfort while going through it. I pray, God, for those that hearts are heavy by the loss of someone. Father, may they experience your peace as they look to you. 
Father, as they rest their eyes on who you are. May they realize and may they experience your deep love and your care and your concern for humanity and for your children in particular. God, I pray for wisdom that we continue as followers of Christ to navigate this crisis and this time, Lord, caring for one another as we love you. And I pray, oh God, that you would help us to see clearly every day that we are to live according to your will, by your love, and in the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. So we commit ourselves to you, we give ourselves to you, and we surrender ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so I'm going to have you turn with me to 1 Peter. Last week I went into the first two verses. I'm going to briefly go in there again as we talk about <clears throat> and as we explain really the context of this letter. And we know at this particular time it is believed that Peter was writing this letter from Rome. And of course, it is also believed that within two years of writing this is that Peter would drink from that cup that Christ talked about when they were together. And, 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 and it was asked, could you drink of this cup? Peter would be martyred for his faith by Nero about, I mean, within two years after writing this letter. But at this particular time, persecution was just beginning to ramp up. It is strongly and widely believed that it was not state-sponsored persecution. What do I mean? That at that time, Nero, who um, is believed at that time would have been governing, that it was believed that he had not yet began to totally blame Christians for all that was wrong with Rome and especially for the burning of Rome. And so the persecution was not now ramped up to where it was criminal to be Christian. We have some places today where it is criminal to be Christian. This is not one of those places, although we cannot gather inside in mass number so that we stay the spread of a virus, it is not criminal to meet. It is not criminal to bear the name of Christ. And so we are not facing persecution like that. The persecution that they were facing was more and really along the lines of what we're beginning to see today, although theirs were probably further along. And what was that is that they were beginning to be maligned, sidelined, marginalized for following Christ. They were beginning to be ridiculed and it was local. So you had local people, their family and friends, communities, maybe and, and, and maybe even local magistrates and government were beginning to push them to the side, but it was not yet of the point where you would lose your life for claiming Christ. Some would have maybe in some of the rare extreme circumstances that be the case, but what we find is a lot what we find today, although then in more increased intensity, and that is it was no longer and it was becoming less popular to name Christ. It was not something that people um, applauded you for or rewarded you for. There was a time in this country when you mentioned your relationship with God and that people would applaud it and they would say, that's great. And that's becoming less and less of the case here. And at that time, it was surely decreasing. And so when they responded, when they were living out their faith, it was not out of the sense that society embraced it that people were dapping you because you chose to follow Christ. It was more like they were giving you the side eye as to why you would be so foolish, why you think that would be something that was appropriate, why you would think that's something that would benefit your life or that's why you were put here. And so what I want us to see today is that as we look into all of this text over this next month, we're going to be going one chapter each week through this, I want us to keep in mind whom Peter was speaking to and how he addresses them and how he seeks to settle them as the society that they lived in was turning on them. 
See, because the temptation is, is that if you think that you are living well and that you are living good and that you are living in God's approval, everybody ought to be okay with it. Everybody should be all right. It should go well. I should have very little problems. There shouldn't be much that I have to face because, hey, God, I'm doing what you want. But what he was going to remind them is that as you journey in Christ, your life will look like the one who journeyed first before you, Christ himself. Remember, he said before he left his disciples, if they hated me, they will hate you. And he talked about if they were going to, in essence, come against and push out and ultimately hurt him, what do you think that they would do to those who choose to follow? And so he was wanting them to remember that what you are going through is not something that is weird. That is someone that walked in those shoes before you and actually paid the ultimate price. But we'll see later in the book, it says he did that as an example, leaving an example for you. It's interesting that Peter shares that. You have to understand the mind of the one who's sharing this. He talks about standing up under pressure. He talks about standing up under suffering. But you are hearing from someone that didn't do it perfectly. May I remind you that Peter was the one who, when he was pressed about identifying with Christ, when Christ was in his trial, his unjust trial, by the way, um, on his way to being crucified, Peter was the one that denied him and did it so much so that he didn't want anyone to even think that he had anything to do with this guy. So you are hearing from a person that is telling you to stand up for Christ when he failed initially to stand up for Christ. See, but I like that. That's hope for me because I realize that even as he was telling me about it, he was coming from a position of having failed and then having been restored and having understood the grace of God that brought him back from his failure. What he is telling us is that you could have messed up miserably, you could have failed terribly, and God still calling you to get back on track his forgiveness is there. His love is there. His purpose is there. And he says, you are able to come back. So for the person that says, I messed up, I, I, I can't do this. Peter says, you don't know who you're talking to. At the very time when Jesus had everyone desert him, I denied him. And as a matter of fact, if you look at one of the texts, it says that when he did deny him, Christ was walking by, he could see Peter and I could just imagine their eyes met and Peter remembered what Jesus told him that he would deny him three times whenever Peter said, nah, Lord, I'm down with you. I, hey, I'm your ride or die. I'm going to go all the way with you. And Jesus in his grace and his love and his mercy told Peter what was going to happen. But he also, if you look at that text in the Gospels, he also told him, he gave him some grace and mercy in it. He said, and when you return, if you look at that text, he, he tells Peter, and when you return, Peter, because he said, you'll deny me. But when you return, strengthen your brothers. The grace in that prophetic statement of Christ that says you're going to fail, but you're going to return as well. And when you do, there's something I want you to do. I want you to turn around and strengthen those who are coming behind you and let them know failure may have happened, but failure is not the end. And so now we get into Peter and he is now settling people. I know he remembers back to the time under pressure when he failed and he doesn't want these believers to fail. He wants to settle them. He wants to get them on the right course so they don't have to go through what he went through. But even if they did, he could instruct them well. At this particular point, remember, the scripture in Acts had already happened when they were told not to preach the gospel and you can't tell someone that's been commissioned by God to preach the gospel, not to preach the gospel. 
that's when you get disobeyed. That's when you are not listened to. When God commands one thing and man commands another, the choice is God or man. And Peter made it clear. He said, you decide if we should listen um, to God or man. He said, but I'm just going to tell you, we're going to listen to God. And of course, they were beaten. They were flogged. They were thrown in jail. And at the end of that Acts text, he says, and we counted ourselves worthy to suffer for him. Understand the change had already took place in Peter. He went from one who denied Christ and ran away to one who stood and counted himself worthy to be beat for the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about being beat because you're a troublemaker. You're out there doing something you shouldn't be. You're out there and being ridiculous and actually just quite dumb. He's saying that you are doing it because of your faith and you are following what God has clearly directed and people come against you because of it. And so as we look at that, that is the setup for us. That is the background of us. We look at this letter and it is also believed that Silas and Mark or Silvanus, as it may say, helped Peter with this particular letter because they were with Paul. Some believe that Paul had been, by the time he was beginning to write this letter, that Paul himself had already been martyred, and thus those that were helping him were now coming over to help Peter. And so I want you to get in mind, if these were the things that were swirling in the air, what must it have been like? For those that were naming the name of Christ, when some of your leaders and people were marked men and women and, and, and others that were, um, um, that were, that were ridiculed and some at the time that were martyred. By that time, James had already been martyred for the faith. And so these were things that were known. And how many of us, if we had heard of some of our brothers and sisters who were being, who were being martyred that we knew that we heard from that spoke to us how vigilant would we be in maintaining our faith how strong would we be in walking after god let me ask you are you in this thing because it's popular are you following christ because it's just a good comfortable life hey christian life this is great I got a bunch of friends. I got a cool environment. I got a safe environment. Ain't no one acting up. Things are just kind of cool. Are you in it because it's comfortable? Or are you in it because God called you to a life of following him? And so with that in mind, let's look at 1 Peter, and I'm going to read just different sections and today's text, today's lesson, that was the intro for our book. Today's text, today's lesson is going to be establishing yourself in exile. Remember, the, 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 the whole title for our series is Living Well While in Exile. And today we're going to look at establishing yourself in exile because if, as I said last week, if the tone and the tenor of your life is that I just want out, you are going to find it extremely difficult and hard to live out your faith, as Peter would say, while being in exile on this earth. So establishing yourself in exile is going to be critically important. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the fa according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so, this intro is whom he's writing to. Peter takes some language from the old covenant. What he does here, most of these people that he is writing to, these would have been Gentiles as well, non-Jewish people who have come to faith over the, I mean, from, from, from hearing the gospel, this Asia Minor, which today would be modern day Turkey, is where many of these believers were. And so he had, 
he had said that they were, they were of the dispersion. And that phrase that was used was talking about the fact that he equated them to those Jews who were foreigners and exiles when, uh, during the old covenant time, whether it be in Babylon or whether it be somewhere else, uh, that these were those that were outside of their land, of their home territory by God's doing, and that being put there, dispersed there, they were living in a culture foreign to their own and different from the ways and the laws of God. And so what he painted in their mind, he was equating them with those Jews that God made the covenant with, but now they were in covenant with with, with God because of the work, the finished work of Christ. And so he was bringing them together and allowing those that were here to be identified with God's covenant. And he says in this particular, er, I mean, in, in, in this particular area, they would have understood knowing now and hearing from the scriptures what he would have meant. And then he says again, going back to that, to those words from the Old Testament, the foreknowledge of God that had planned this all along. You were part of God's plan when he says elect exiles. God chose you just like he did the nation of Israel. They were not chosen because they were holy. Understand that. You and I were not chosen because we were holy. You don't come here as someone in Christ because you are holy. You are now someone that was made holy because Christ came to you. And by coming to you, he now has settled and he now has made right what he actually wanted to happen. He has caused you and I to be a part of that nation, to be a part of that group that he wanted to be his. Chosen, elect, exiles. And then when he says for obedience to Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, it goes back to that whole sacrificial system that he had there. And, and, that, and that the sprinkling of blood, especially in the old covenant, is what was there for the remission of sins. And because of that, he says now it is not because of a lamb or a goat or some sheep, but it was because of Christ, the final sacrifice, that the blood of forgiveness for shedding has been sprinkled. And so you stand just like the nation of Israel, you stand elected and selected by God. Listen to what he did. Those that were suffering, those that were being pushed to the side, those that were not being identified as approved, God comes in and shows that they are approved. See, understand when you are going to be established for exile, the first thing that you are doing when you are in exile, you must find a reason to rejoice. And God gives through Peter them a reason to rejoice. What is that reason? He says, you're mine. You're mine and I have chosen you. You're mine and I have set it in place that you are exactly where you are. And I am the one who has called you out. I know that there are people that are rejecting you. I know that there are people that have pushed you to the side, that are ridiculing you. As a matter of fact, it may even have affected their financial and their economic position. Some of them might have lost jobs behind it. He says, I know, and yet you're still mine. Yeah, but God, I'm having trouble paying my bills. You're still mine. I still know where you are. Yeah, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my friends. You're still mine. Who would you rather be friends with? That person that's going to be sometimey? And even if, they, even if they roll with you to the end, their end may come before your end. And so that friend to the end may not be much help to you. But God says, in essence, you're mine. I'm always here. I always have your back. I'm always watching you. Even if you don't think I am, I am. And so it says, 
He says here, look, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's listen for a reason to rejoice. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's stop there for a second. I'm going to give you another reason to rejoice. He says, listen, in a world that is taking everything from you, I want you to understand that I have reserved an inheritance for you. Remember, what Peter is doing is helping people that are suffering, that are being persecuted slightly, lightly, and in increasing measure, he is settling them. How do you settle a person that is being persecuted, that is being told that they're worthless, and that is being pushed to the side? You tell them their true worth. And God is giving you your true worth. He says, listen, right here, he says he has given you and I a living hope. Through Christ being resurrected, here it is. We have an inheritance. There is something that is in store. It looks like you're getting everything snatched, but but there's something in store that you need to remember. See, an inheritance comes into play later in the life. Inheritance comes into play where there's a death. Inheritance comes into play whenever something has happened first, and then it is in store for you and is given. Here's what he says. What is it that is given? Whatever it is, it is imperishable. In other words, it can't rot. When you think of those perishable goods that you have, when you think of those things that if you don't put it in the fridge or if you even leave it in the fridge too long or if you leave it out, it's going to decay. He says, this inheritance can't decay. It can't be affected by anything here. Number two, it says it is undefiled. It cannot be twisted and made dirty. In other words, we have some things that have started out well here, but has ended up succumbing to defilement, to sin. People that have started out running with you well, but boy, something got to them and they got twisted along the way. And inside they are defiled. They are no longer those quote unquote good people they used to be. Sin cannot affect the inheritance God has for you. Then he said it's unfading. I like this is if you let anything sit out in the elements long enough, the elements will fade it. In other words, Whatever is here will fade in its beauty, you and I included. Live long enough, and all of that external beauty that you bank on and that you think about and that you are glad for, and maybe the in-shape physique that you have, or maybe the financial position, all of it at some point will fade. He says, what I have for you is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And if that wasn't enough, he said, as a matter of fact, it's not even here. Why is that important? Because no one can touch nor mess with what I have for you because they can't get to it. You know how it is when you have things you don't want people to touch and you put them in places that people won't find it. Sometimes you put them in places that people won't find and you can't find it. But, but, but he says here, what I have for you is kept in heaven for you. And what he says, this is not some sweet by and by fantasy thing. He says, when you get there, you'll see what it is. And then I'm going to give you another reason to rejoice. If that was not enough, he says, verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Understand this. He says that I know it feels like you are on your own. I know it feels like sometimes that no one has your back. Boy, this verse stands out clear. God says, who you are being guarded by God's power. Let's just put it this way. 
Whatever God allows, whether it's just through his hand and even in your disobedience, something that happens. Understand that if you are a follower of Christ, a child of God, whatever happens to you is what God allows. And so he says, guarded, you are guarded by God's power. There is no better protection. Secret service can't protect you like this. Armed cars and guards can't protect you like this. Secure fences and homes can't protect you like this. Oh, you may lose your life. Peter did. But he said you are guarded by God's power until he is ready for you to come home. And when it is time for you to come home, he says, I'll usher you home. But understand your whole life is governed and protected by God. And he says, if that doesn't give you a reason to rejoice and settle it, so when you see people coming against you, when you see cities and towns, and eventually when the state comes against them, they still understand the fact that they are being guarded by God's power. Whatever happens, God has allowed. And so verse 6 is why I said you need to find a reason to rejoice because it says in this you rejoice. And brings me to my second point on that is that when you are in exile, in order to establish yourself, when you're in exile, you not only need to find the reason to rejoice, you need to realize that your grievous trials are both temporary and they have a purpose. You need to realize that your grievous your, your grievous trials are both temporary and they have a purpose. Verse 6 says, in this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He tells you for a little while, because even if that little while is 50 years, put that in light of eternity. And that's like a second. You say, yeah, Lord, but I've been suffering for, for like 30 years of my life. God says you have eternity to go. What is 30 years to forever? God, I've been suffering for 50, 60 years. God says, I know. What is 50, 60 years in light of eternity? God wants us to put it in perspective. This is not it. If all that you have, and I'm going to say it, if your best life is here, I'm sorry for you. Because for the believer, it may not seem like this is your best life. But God says, I've got a best life for you. Oh, you'll experience some good things while you're here. But don't think this is all that there is. He says, I got you while you're here. <laughs> he says, but you wait till you get home. What I have for you will blow your mind. And so we realize that these trials that we are going through are temporary. Number one, they won't last in perspective forever. And then number two, in that they are purposeful. Verse seven says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, and he says that that faith is more precious than gold, says may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. And here's what, listen to this. Here's what he says, man, he goes, understand this, understand this. He says, the purpose of your trials is so that at the end, there will be some praise, honor, and glory. In other words, what he is doing is working out the situation so that when this life is done, you have lived through the tests and the trials well, that at the end, and God is allowing praises to be sung, not only about him for delivering you, but for you for allowing yourself to stay delivered. The praise and the honor and the glory is not only of God, but it is of you. You have stood the test. You have lived well. And although you had many in this world that talked about you, that called you a clown for following Christ, that said that you were crazy and that you were downright dumb. God says at the end when Christ, now he didn't say if, 
when, which means it's going to happen when Christ is revealed. He says what's going to happen is going to result in some praise for you, some honor for you, and some glory for you because you are attached to Christ who will get ultimate glory. So he's saying, be settled. I know what you're going through. And as a matter of fact, what we're going to see as we go through this book is what he's saying is that you have to go through this because Christ did it first. And he did it first so that you could know how to do it because you are going to suffer. Why? Because you in Christ are living totally different from those in this system, in this world, according to this world's values. You are living opposite of it. And so because of that, they are going to be pushing against you. So not only do you realize that your grievous trials are temporary and they're purposeful, that the salvation that has caused this exile is going to be delivered finally. And you have to remember that. When you are going through your worst day, you have to remember there is an end and there may be an end to this while you're here, some of it. But ultimately, there will be an end to it all when that salvation is fully revealed. See, you are getting to experience some of the benefits of your salvation right now, of your rescue, of your deliverance from sin. The person who is following Christ has been set free from sin's power. Romans says sin shall no longer have dominion over you. In other words, you don't have to serve it as a master. We may give in to it at times, but you don't have to serve it. The power has been broken. And you are constantly being delivered from the effects of sin as you live in obedience to Jesus Christ. In other words, the intent of your life and the way that he has intended for you to live, God says you get to live that way regularly. But then ultimately, one day you will be completely delivered from this body, from this life, from this system, from this sin-cursed world. And God says that is when salvation is complete. And he wants you to realize that that third point is, look, he says, I realize that the salvation that is causing you to be in exile, that it's finished, that, that it's finished completion is promised. And then lastly, he wants you to embrace the command of God in the way that you should live in this exile. In other words, he has, I have here the fourth point is embrace the command of God to holiness while in exile. And understand this. Listen to what he says. Verse 13, jump on down. Therefore, and as I've learned early on, early days of Bible college, early days, something very simple helped me out. When you see a therefore, some of you know because I've said it, find out what it's there for. So he says, therefore, therefore what? Since he just talked about the position and the promise and your place in God, Therefore, he wants you to do something and to live in a particular way. He has set all these things in motion. They are true and they are yours if you are a follower of Christ as you live as an exile. In other words, you are a foreigner in, I mean, not at home. Yes, you are at home. You go to your different places from here. But he says, when you came to Christ, this is no longer the ultimate home. He says, so while you are waiting to go home, I want you to live a certain way. And verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And here is one of the keys to this whole time in exile. He says, listen, since I've already set it all up, he says, two things need to be going on in your mind. One you need to prepare your mind for action. He didn't say prepare your body. 
He said, prepare your mind. In other words, you begin to shape your thinking that there is some action that has to happen. And that action speaks of that battle, that war. He says, look, God don't have any couch potatoes. He don't have any armchair Christians. He says, you are going to have to prepare for some action. But it starts in your mind. How are you thinking? Are you thinking that I should just coast and just roll into eternity? Or he says, are you prepared for a fight as you journey from here until the end? He says, so preparing your mind for action and staying sober. Don't be distracted. Don't get drunk. And we'll talk about that later on in the book. Don't get drunk by the distractions of your world and by the entertainment. It doesn't say that you can't be entertained. Don't believe that. Nor is he saying for you to pull back and get into some sort of holy huddle apart from the world. No, that would go against the thought of the action. He said the action is going to happen because you are in this world, that you are living amongst the culture, that you understand the people that are around you, that you get involved with them. But you do it from a different purpose. He said you are preparing your mind for action and you are being clearly focused, not being distracted, not getting drunk by what's around you. And when he says that, he says, set your hope on the grace that is to be brought to you. What does it mean by hope? We said that last week, this whole issue of hope. This is not a wish or a prayer, some sort of wishful prayer. This is a guaranteed, it is going to happen, I know it will kind of thought. So when you hope on something in the scripture, it is what you have confidence in. Put it this way. What, what, what Peter is telling them is to throw your anchor into eternity, the hope that Christ is setting, so that if you are anchored somewhere outside of this earth, then you can actually be settled well while you're in this earth. The problem is with many of us, our anchor is right here, and there isn't anything here that can hold and stabilize us. Coronavirus just proved that. There isn't anyone that is unaffected by this. I don't care what you have, what you do, where you live, how you live. Everyone on this planet has been affected. And if your anchor in life was here, it has been uprooted. For some of them, it has been taken up. And probably for everyone, if it was here, your anchor's not holding. And God says to you and I, throw that anchor into the hope that's going to be revealed, into that surety, that inheritance that we talked about earlier, throw your anchor and let it hold into eternity and you will be held while you live here. How do I know that? He says, look, in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you was holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? He says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? People say, oh, is it is it the way I dress? No, holiness will affect the way you dress, but it is not a certain dress. Is it what I drive? No, holiness will affect how you spend your money. But holiness is not your money. So what is holiness? If it's. If I put something on or if I wear, no, 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 those things will be affected by it. And what holiness is, it is that separation. It is that being put apart. It is that purity. It is that cleanness of character that comes from God and God alone. God says, I am holy. It is my character. I am perfectly holy. And so for us, the aim and the goal is the holiness of God. Whoa, are you saying I'm going to be perfect like God? Not on this side of life. But what is he saying? That is still your goal. Why? Because on that day that you are feeling your best, that you got it all together, I'm living like I should. Ain't nobody living holy like me. God says, you're not the standard. I am. And so when you feel that you are Living just as you should, God says, nah, you still got a way to go. 
because the standard for holiness doesn't rest anywhere on this earth. The standard for holiness is God himself. And so we are always growing, always improving, always increasing until that day when you meet him face to face and you are changed into perfection. And so then we finally see here, he says, embrace the command of God to holiness while in, ex when, while in exile. Why? He says, understand, because I want you to conduct yourself in fear while you're living in exile. Why? Because number one, God is going to judge every action and every life. But number two, he wants you to represent him well while you are on this planet. Verse 17 really says that out. And if you call on him as father, that means that you are saying that God is your daddy, which means that you are his child. I don't mean everyone born on this earth is God's child. We're not talking about God's creation. We're talking about God's children. He says, if you call on him as father, God is my dad. He says, who judges impartially, God doesn't play favorites. He don't care who you are, where you came from, how you look, color of your skin. Amount in your bank account, it says that the father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. God says, listen to me. He says, I need you to embrace something. I need you to embrace the life that what I've called you to is a life of holiness and purity in your conduct, in how you live. Oh, I know you won't do it perfectly, but God says you need to do it consistently, always realizing that I'm the standard and always keeping your eyes focused on me. And that as you grow and as you go, he says, I want your conduct. You need to live it out of fear. Oh, what kind of fear? You mean being afraid or you mean awestruck with God? Yes, both. Because you realize that God is who he is and is not to be played nor messed with, but that he does love me and he extends that grace to me. He says, I live realizing that I am under the watchful eye of a real and a living God and that through that real and living God, he has set me on a course to live rightly while he is, I mean, while I am living under his watchful eye. Remember, Earlier, he said, I am guarding you by my power. He says, so live fearfully. And then as we embrace that command of God to holiness while in exile, what we will realize is that heads will turn. People will realize that God is real. As a matter of fact, you will find yourself living well while in exile. You will find yourself embracing your position and your place. You will find yourself not becoming embittered by what you've lost. You will find yourself not becoming angry or embarrassed by what you don't have because you will realize that you have more than anyone ever realizes. God says, I'm going to make it right one day. Don't worry about when. You just live right so that when the time is right, whew, you'll be seen right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, oh God, that you have allowed us to hear your word, to live under your voice. Lord, to live by your command. Father, I pray today that as we have heard how to live well in exile, that how we are, how we are to establish ourselves, Lord, in exile, I pray indeed Lord, that we would allow ourselves to be established, realizing that we're not trying to get out. We're trying to live well while we're in. And I pray that we would allow ourselves to be established by the power of your spirit through your word in obedience, O oh God. And I pray that as we do that, that others will be blessed. Father, that many will see and come to know who Jesus is. Strengthen us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. As I said earlier, there may be some here or even that can hear this that are not in this parking lot, that you have not made that decision to follow Christ. That is not something that you see. That is not something that you count as important. But as you've heard this morning, 
It is vitally important. And if indeed you are realizing that I need to have a life with Christ, it is easy. When I say it's easy, it is easy to come, but the journey is not easy, but you've got help. We heard that God said that I got your back. I'm guarding you. I'm leading you. And I have a place for you. But you got to come first. And this morning, I want to get that opportunity and I want to leave it out that if you have not made that decision to believe that Christ is the only way to a relationship with God the Father and that he provided that by dying on the cross for your sins, realizing yourself that you were a sinner in need of forgiveness and then now allowing yourself to repent of that sin and ask for the forgiveness that only God gives through Christ. And by doing that, you move yourself into a relationship with Jesus Christ or that you are brought into, let me say, a relationship with Jesus Christ that will last forever. If you have done that, I would pray that you would let someone know. You can let me or any one of us out here in this parking lot know if you're watching us online, um, there is... And there will be information there of how you can email us and to let us know of the decision that you've made. Um, or if you want to, you can come up and talk to some of us after our time here. I would love to talk to you about beginning a relationship with God. <clears throat> and so this morning, please be encouraged. Please stand strong. As people speak against you because of your faith, you realize that you are in good company, that you are in the right place because that's how they treated Christ. And as Peter had talked about, he counted himself worthy. Earlier, he didn't want to be counted with the number. But as God grew him up, he wanted to be counted worthy and was glad that he could. And so today for you and I, let's stand strong. Let's stand fervently. Let's stand forever. You guys have a blessed week. <coughs> have a strong week. Have a powerful week in God. God bless you. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.